0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: This is the Runner's World Podcast. You're listening to the Runner's World Podcast with me, Rick Pearson, and me, Ben Hobson. This week, we're speaking with Lisa Jackson about the joy of last place.
2: I mean, what I want from running in the long term is a sense of connection. The thing that I found so exciting about running was that I gave myself permission to do it. I didn't have to pass a test to do it. If you really think you are too overweight to start, just start walking. Just walk until you feel comfortable walking 5K and then start literally a few seconds of running at a time.
1: Rick, Uh, have you you ever finished last? Oh, I have. Have I ever finished last? No, I don't think I have, actually. I have. Have you? Tell us
3: more. Uh, Sports day? Yeah. I... uh, uh, was always in charge of the throwing things. Oh, okay, right. like in terms of like selection of stuff like javelin, shot put, those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. Everyone was just like, give it to Ben, he'll throw it. It's not a bad thing to be known for. <laughs> but at one point, there seemed to be this this error in judgment by everyone who just went, "You can do the eight hundred meters. Now you can throw things. Therefore, you'll be a good middle distance." I think runner. someone basically someone had said that I'm not doing it or I'm ill or something. Right. So they were like, the only person left was me. So I did the eight hundred meters, and I was a very last because. I didn't do any running. This was back when I was like fun thirteen or something okay, like that, right. and I was very un very unsporting apart from throwing things and yeah that was that was literally like everyone had finished, had turned round, was watching, yeah as I came round the, the bend for the final
1: like hundred meters did it how did it feel and did it put you off running for a bit or not?
3: oh uh no, I think I was already put off running right, this, right. this
1: probably just cemented it for me, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: But that was not really, I think that's because it's embarrassing in front of your peers. Yes. The running itself, I think, if I, if like truly, like the effort Mm. of running around a track or like this was just painted lines on a field. Yeah. I think that was probably still like if I think that's still the same feeling of being like, you know, you're running hard and it's a race and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But the negative comes from the fact that you've just got the whole school going, this guy is rubbish.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about, I've definitely finished. Uh, in the in the bottom twenty five percent in cross country when I when I was at school same yeah. thing and um and it didn't detract for me actually on the enjoyment about it because I just thought it was about getting round and yeah it's kind of like it was about kind of try not to walk get round and you're covered in mud anyway and it was sort of so it'd be interesting to see what Lisa has to say about um runners who aren't bothered about pace and time because I think actually it can really add to sort of your longevity of the sport as well can it because if you're like well I I just love running it's not about a performance thing for me. Yeah, I think everyone will get to a point where
3: if you want to continue doing your running, you have to let go of whatever it is that uh, has driven you from a time-slash-a-goal mm. perspective.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Hey, funny story, that has been doing the rounds. Yes. So Tokyo 2020, as um styled itself, is going to be the most eco-friendly competition in history, it says. And as part of this, it's designed beds in the athlete village to be made from cardboard. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's just good, isn't it, for really yeah. to be applauded. But Australian basketball player Andrew Bogut, uh, if that's how you pronounce his name, uh, shared some concerns that the bears might not be able to survive in the event that two <laughs> Olympians oh. were to have sex in the bed. Oh
3: well, this isn't a, this is you know, rumours of uh, extracurricular activities during the Olympics has always been pretty strong, hasn't it's it? For sure, for right. sure.
1: So he, so he he aired his um his worries online, and the manufacturer Airweave confirmed that the carpal bed would take up to two hundred kilograms. So more than enough for two people, they said.
3: I guess it depends on on who's sharing a bed with whom.
1: Yeah, I guess if it was sort of two shot putters or, or throwing people like yourself. <laughs> True, two throwers got together. It could be, yeah, but it's quite funny anyway. So yeah, that's that's doing the rounds anyway. About um, Don't worry, athletes, the, the beds are oh. hard-wearing <laughs> enough. Great stuff. <laughs> All right, I think we should speak to our guests. Sounds good, sounds good. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the Our guest this week is Runners World's latest columnist, Lisa Jackson. Lisa, who is now uh, writing the Flamingo Diaries for the magazine, is a runner who celebrates going slowly. She's finished uh, last in 25 marathons, but says there is joy to be had in forgetting about uh, time goals and simply running for its own sake. Lisa, welcome to the Runners World podcast.
2: Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. No, It's
1: great to have you on. Um, You didn't start running until you were 30.
2: That's right. So
1: why did you start?
2: Well, I had a very fit father and a fit mother. And when you have that example in your house, day in, day out, they didn't just uh, talk the talk, they ran the run. Um, You see the benefits of running firsthand, the mental benefits, um, the physical benefits. My father could still fit into his school blazer and he still can today. Um, And he's still running at, at 80 even after arterial heart fibrillation um so you see that example and when you try and stay away from running um you See the effects, and they're not good ones. So, when I turned 30, I think a lot of people have that, like, you know, sort of revelatory moment when they think, What am I doing with the rest of my life? And I knew that I had to get fit, and running was the thing I hated least. That's all I can say. <laughs> I didn't like it, <laughs> I actually just hated it least. And so, I, I hired a personal trainer and I also um, entered a race for life, a 5K race for life. And when I attended that, the atmosphere was so different to what I expected. I expected it to be super competitive and actually. Everyone was in pink, which is my favourite colour, and also everyone was encouraging everyone else. And I got such a buzz from this joy and this um, camaraderie um, that that kind of set me on the path um, to running um, lots and lots of marathons.
3: When you first started, did you have that sort of... Natural inclination, I think, that when everyone begins is that they want to see how fast they can go and how far and all those sorts of things. Because uh, you, you champion running slowly, but was there a starting point when you went, I'm going to go for this f- as fast as I can 5K or anything like
2: No. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, when you're as slow as I am, then there's no point in trying to do that. And right. I know I was slow because before you get the idea from other people that you're non-athletic or people tell you bad things about yourself and your abilities... I was at primary school and we used to have to run from the teacher to the wall at the swimming pool and back. And I would be doing my best, like honestly running flat out. And by the time I touched the wall and looked back, everyone else was back with the teacher munching on their peanut butter and fish paste sandwiches. (laughs) And I was still starting to come back. So I am just super slow. And I mean, everyone I've taken out as a beginner runner has said, oh my God, I'm so slow. I'm so embarrassed to be running with you. And I always just go... No, I promise you, I've never met anyone who's slower than me. And to this day, I genuinely haven't. So no, it's, there's no point in me trying to be fast because that just wasn't going to happen. That said, when I had to qualify for the Comrades Ultramarathon, which at those that time, you had to do it in under five hours mm. as a qualifier, I got fast. Okay, I got a lot faster, but the grueling nature of the training the speed sessions the endless squats and lunges all that stuff that's not what i enjoy about running so i was able to get much faster i mean i've got a pb of 438 which is you know pretty okay um but it wasn't my kind of style of running at all and and i i really don't think if i was still you know well if i ever had to chase times again i would just stop enjoying running and then i probably stop running
3: i think that's we've discussed this a lot previously and how people can lose sight of the fun in running because mm. they chase these these times and that's very interesting that you say that you've done that but it's absolutely not what you want from running in the long term
2: no, that's absolutely true. I mean, what I want from running in the long term is a sense of connection because there's no other activity that gives you the opportunity to just turn up somewhere and you can just talk to anyone. I mean, I actually I always say this. I don't approach people first. I always let people come to me because I'm aware that some people want to focus and they've got a time goal or whatever. But I wear a fancy dress for every marathon or a funny hat. People always come <laughs> speak to me. And then I just hear these incredible stories of the hurdles people have overcome, the challenges they face in their lives. People share stuff with you. I mean I'm a hypnotherapist and I'm quite surprised sometimes I hear just the same stories when I'm on a marathon as I do in my therapy room Um, and I just love that I just love the fact that I've made friends you know in loads of different countries Uh, people have touched my life they've inspired me I think the main thing is as I'm getting older is running with 80 year old marathon runners and going my god if that guy can do it what's wrong with you yeah you're slowing down even more but you've got to get out that door and carry on you know achieving goals so that's what I love is the connection
1: let's talk about coming last in a marathon because yeah. I think a lot of people that that would be a kind of one of the fears would be I, I won't finish or I'll yeah. come last and you're yeah. someone who's, who's come last a lot and you still love running right yeah so what was your experience coming last
2: well i did it by accident the first time now i sometimes do it deliberately like if you and i were running together l- unlikely as that is and um we were coming to the finish line i would ask you to go ahead of me so i okay, could be well, last right. right um but i did it accidentally the first time and i just got so much um you know, praise and cheers. I mean, the whole place came to a halt. Anyone who was still left, all the people tidying up, all the marshals and that, just stopped and just gave me the standing ovation. And a little secret is they often give you extra goodie bags as well. So you know to go home with six goodie bags, which is quite nice. Um, and I just felt that that was like kind of the last fear that I had about running was like it's not humiliating at all. Someone has to come last. I mm-hmm. mean, that is mm-hmm. the fact. There is a, a winner and a not a loser, because it's not a loser. You finished it. And there's a person who comes last. And um, I actually just love it. I mean, honestly, and now I just fight to get that last place. Um, and there's a lovely little story of, um, I said somewhere that on social media that I'd come last 25 times. And um, a runner called Tire Girl challenged me on social media and said that she <laughs> disputed my figure, And she could show me, you know, Photographic evidence that she'd come last in a race that I'd counted among mine, <laughs> and she sent me the screenshot, and she was right. So I had to downgrade my twenty-four loss to twenty—sorry, twenty-five to twenty-four. Right. But then I came last again, so I'm back up to my. Oh, okay, tomorrow. good, yeah, <laughs> great. But I said to her, "Who knew that coming last could be so competitive?"
3: Yeah, But yeah, yeah. well, in, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I often do this about cycling and running, but there's a thing in the Lanton Rouge in in cycling, mm-hmm. which is the sort of the the last. The, the red light this is the sort of like the last position and it's like oh, a, wow. I it, know especially in like um the tour de france you kind of get it's like a, it's a celebrated position because <laughs> of, you know after three weeks of, of riding over the mountains it, there's, it, just getting through it like with all these things there's going to be a thing and there's you know the last per the last place uh, is, a, is, a, is a celebrated hmm.
1: thing
2: well you know what i might have to buy myself a lontan rouge to there stick on my head as a funny hat there you go. because i love that idea that sounds fantastic yeah
1: you say, Lisa, that a lot of people have written to you and said that you've given them a kind of permission slip in some way to run slowly um, or to enjoy running. Um, how do you feel about that? Do
2: you know, I just think it's the most wonderful thing because. The thing that I found so exciting about running was that I gave myself permission to do it. Mm. I didn't have to pass a test to do it. No one had to rate me and say if I was good enough or not. And obviously, if I had to pass that test, I wouldn't have passed it. And just to be able to enter as many damn marathons as I liked, do them as slowly as I liked, as long as I could, you know, beat the cutoff, is a wonderful thing. And I just want to pass that on to people, is don't wait for people to give you permission to do anything you want to do in life. You know, Whether that's write a novel, um, whether that's have children, whether that's um, you know achieve any dream you have um, I, I just think that is the most powerful thing that running taught me is give yourself the permission slip you know you are the captain of your own ship this
3: is the runner's world podcast um, I think you, you mentioned the fancy dress mm. and, and, and why why the fancy dress and and, and what? when did it start
2: It started right from the (laughs) window. I ran my first half marathon dressed as the Angel of the North because that was um, the Great North Run. So I completely embedded myself with glitter, head to toe, or a little, um, you know, furry halo and wings. I love fairy wings, by the way. That's another thing that I love. (laughs) Um, And that was such fun. And I try and dress up, you know, if it's race appropriate, say, for example, the Loch Ness uh, marathon. I didn't actually have a special hat for that, so I was going to wear my flamingo hat. And then I found in a gift shop a marathon monster you know like a huge monster head loch ness monster head i probably i cannot <laughs> tell you that and like just huge amount of joy, I was dancing around in this gift shop going, I found it, I found it, this is just perfect, so I actually find that choosing the costumes it's all part of, you know, I kind of call it marathon foreplay, like I just love it, when that parcel arrives through the door, and I'm prancing around in front of the mirror, like you know, looking at myself from all sides, um, and I think it looks great, it's just wonderful, I mean there have been some disasters, you know, I wore one that was a flamingo hat, and it was tied under my chin and I looked like a Teletubby, so I couldn't wear that one again, because I do like to kind of look nice at the same time, Um, but the main thing with this fancy dress I mean is the fact that it's an icebreaker so other people come and talk to me and you know I want to be the kind of runner that respects other people so I don't inflict myself on anyone but if someone's come over and spoken to me and asked me questions I feel I can ask them a few back
1: (laughs) so some of these stories appear in your latest book Mm. Uh, your pace of mind can you tell us a little bit about that book and why you wanted to write it in the first place
2: Well, I just had, you know, um, at that time, I think about 18 years worth of running stories that I'd heard on the road. Um, And I didn't feel my my story was particularly exceptional because I know a lot of people. I mean, I know someone who's 70 years old who started running then and like by the time he's 74, done 100 marathons. But I did think that it would give people permission, again, to to relate to someone who wasn't particularly good at running, but it still, you know, had, it used running to enormously enrich her life and actually help her to achieve goals and things like that. So I wanted to showcase that story, but also the runners I met along the way, because they had such phenomenal stories. And I just thought people need to know these things. They don't get written down often enough. And it was obviously an excuse to keep in touch with those people as well. Um, and the book is just, you know, it has had a huge response from people just going, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to that book, I'm running my first half marathon or my first marathon or even taking up running because a friend like gave it to me and I don't run, but now I want to. Um, and I just think that's what was missing in the running scene was just actually like telling people how much fun there is at the back. Like it's not some grim, dreary place, you know, where people are crying and dragging their like knuckles on the ground, <laughs> you know, with like, horrible chafes and stuff, which is some of it's a bit true, but we we always make friends at the back. There's always some kind of party going on there. Um, you know, we pick up people, we drop off. People, we let them go ahead of us when we've kind of given them a bit of encouragement. You know, so many people that I've picked up in races have gone on to you know wipe the floor with me in terms of time. And I always go, Thanks a lot, you know. <laughs> um but it's uh, it's such an adventure and I just wanted to share that with people that it isn't just you know, obviously we see fast runners and they're fantastic, um, but they are very, very focused mm. and they have to be. And I just want to tell people, you know, if that's not your style, you don't have to be like that, you can be there's something else yeah, out there. It's
1: great, yeah. Running's a very broad church, isn't it?
3: It is yeah, absolutely yeah. Um of all the races, do you have a favorite that you've done?
2: Um I have to say the comrades ultra marathon because, you know, for me that, that was so significant as I'm South African, it's the most iconic race in South Africa. And I mean for me to even dare to dream that I could do it just seemed a hundred percent unlikely. Mm. Um, but I kind of knew I had a few things in my favor. One of them was my mother's immense mental stamina. And I kind of knew if I stood on the start line, if I got there, cause you have to run, I think I can't remember now, like a thousand kilometers or something in training. If I stood at the start line, I kind of knew I'd finish mm. in a way. I mean, obviously, you know, injuries, um, notwithstanding. Um, and so for me to have to get faster, it was a huge challenge. I didn't enjoy it, but I did it. Um, you know, my sister always says I hate it, but I ate it. Um, <laughs> And then to actually have the experience um, of meeting someone who's still a very dear friend of mine now at halfway because I vowed not to talk um, for the whole thing because my father told me it's a serious race, not a carnival procession type thing. So you're not going to wear a fancy dress or you shouldn't, and you shouldn't talk. So I thought, no, forget <laughs> the fancy dress thing. I can do that quite easily without it affecting my performance, but I was not going to talk. And I, I didn't talk for six hours. I was so bored. I was so depressed. I thought this race is totally overrated. Mm. I had three pairs of socks on because... I made the mistake of just taking every piece of advice I got from anyone all at the same time and then doing it all untried. So I had these blisters between my feet after you know, the first hundred meters. Um, and then I met this Canadian woman and boy, that little swinging blonde ponytail, started talking to her. And the next minute was her first one as well. She just got me through. I mean, I wasn't running anymore. I was just having no. like p- a party. So um, that was my most spectacular um, achievement in my life, I think. <laughs>
1: Well, and also, you've uh, just joined the Runner's World uh, team, and you're, yeah. you're one our latest correspondent, the Flamingo Diaries. Yeah. What are you hoping to um, communicate with, with this column?
2: Well, you know, when I started out writing, I hardly knew anyone who ran. I couldn't believe it when I found out Runners World actually existed. I I really didn't. Even though I worked in magazines, someone told me there's a magazine. I was like, what, a whole magazine just for runners? It was such an exciting thing. I used to read every word, every advert, every flyer, Honestly, I right. was like a complete, like, super stalker for Runner's World. And there was this column, John Bingham's column, um, The Penguin Chronicles, and he was a slow runner. And he'd been overweight and a smoker, and, and he became a runner. And he ran at the back, and he told the stories of the people he met. Honestly, I used to save it till last, and I would invariably cry reading this. And then I'd read it about four times again, and then I'd cry again. Um, so I loved his column. And when it came to an end, I just felt, like, so bereft. And I wrote to him, and I said, you know, one of my biggest life's ambitions in running was to run with you one day and I haven't achieved that and and I still haven't. Um, And so I saw this gap in the magazine and it, it wasn't filled for quite a long time and then someone wrote in the letters page and said, hey, you know, you write about great achievements in running and that's great. But what about us? What about us strugglers and shufflers and stragglers? You know, maybe you should cover that too. And I was just, I didn't have time. It was one of those days that I was doing 25 different things. But I just rushed from the bathroom, which is where I read my runner's world because that's the only time I have to read. And I raced to my computer and I just thought, I'm writing to the magazine and I'm saying to them, I'd really like to write for you. And that's what I want to do with that column is be the John Bingham for people um, because he gave me so much encouragement Oh, and just like heartwarming stuff that was in there. So I want to showcase the people I'm going to continue to meet. Um, I want to just encourage people, you know, and just say you don't have to be good at this to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, well, it's great. The feedback we've had so far has been great. Actually, someone wrote in and said they were they were a fan of the the Penguin Chronicles, and this this was a nice kind of second chapter to that. So it sounds like you were achieving that already. So that's
3: uh, well,
2: wow, that's, oh, that's good. very very gratifying. Yeah. It's very very big shoes to fill. <laughs> penguin, <shot laughs> penguin shoes. Penguin shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Penguin shoes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um. Now uh, I don't know if this is in your new book or not, but you have raced two races completely naked.
2: yes <laughs> I have. that is in my book. I only did it for the book i don't that's not right. really my thing like yes. generally you'll be relieved to know
3: <laughs> is it is it a liberating experience? Do
2: you know I think i've that is the thing that scared me most that scared me more than doing comrades i honestly, I couldn't sleep the whole night before. um the weird thing is like being around. Other naked people. Obviously, you've still got shoes and socks on. But being around other naked people, in the beginning, it's just... It is excruciating. But that lasts for about a minute or two minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's just the new normal. And honestly, you don't even think about it. And you don't... I mean, like, I'm not trying to see what shoes you're wearing right now. You know, it's the same thing there. Mm. You don't, like, try and, like, look at people in that way. Like, you talk to them like a normal person, like, with eye contact and smiling Mm. rather than, like, looking at them. And they do the same for you. And the the funny thing I found about it was, um, what struck me most was how friendly (laughs) naturists are. They're just super friendly. Like, everyone talks to you. Everyone. So, um I did find it um, uncomfortable because um, I forgot. I was so panic-stricken before I did my first one that I didn't put Vaseline between my thighs. And you don't realize (laughs) what a job your tights do for you. So I really, I mean, I was sanded raw. It looked like I'd run with a cheese grater between my thighs the whole way. Um, But um, I soon got used to it. And I wasn't scared when I did my second one, which was in London Zoo. um, I wasn't scared... (laughs) At all. Um, And in fact, I was like confident. I was walking around with my little space blanket on and this man came up to me and he obviously just met this woman he fancied. Um, And he said to me, "Um, would you mind taking a photo? And I'm very bad with technology. So I got his mobile phone and I said, does this thing need a flash? And he looked at the woman and he said, yeah, go on then. And he just dropped his, um, (laughs) both of them dropped their space blanket and were completely naked. I was like, right, okay, okay, let me take your photo.
1: (laughs) Um, Finally, Lisa, what what was your message to to would-be runners out there who might feel like they're they're too old, unfit, or slow to to start running?
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,
2: Honestly, again, just give yourself permission. I mean, no one's too old because I know people who started from scratch, you know, at 70 and did a hundred marathons. Hey Malcolm. Um you you never, you know, honestly, unless your doctor says to you, and in which case, you know, if you really think you are too overweight to start just start walking just walk until you feel comfortable walking 5k and then start literally a few seconds of running at a time so my first book um, Running Made Easy that was all about running for 60 seconds at a time um, and then interspersing it with um, walk breaks so that way really works it minimises your um, injuries and you make progress really really quickly
1: Lisa thanks so much for coming on the Runners World Podcast it was great great to speak to you well wonderful to be here
2: thank you both thanks a lot great thank you
3: this is the Runners World podcast? Well, that was excellent to hear from Lisa. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, makes you feel um, uh, joyful about running. Agreed. But I think I'd like to hear and to continue the joy, continue the celebration of those lesser performances as people might have viewed them originally. Mm. Now to change them into those joyful experiences, I want to hear from from the listeners um, about their, their their coming last or near last and 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 why it was, you know. In informative to their running
1: okay sounds good yeah, yeah?
3: so email please podcast.runnersworld.co.uk. at let us know if you came last and what it meant to you
1: his fingers on a button his ears to the ground he's done a bit of googling and he's had a nose around he's a detective wearing running shoes carrying a coffee and his weekly running Cantankerous, carry. That was that was that a harmony or just that nah, that, was, that was a screech. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, new jingle. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Are you cantankerous this week? Carrie or is there a, a different adjective that you'd like to um? Give yourself? um <laughs> it has to rhyme, so we're gonna be stuck. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's got yeah, it's got to begin with a with kind the, of cur. curve. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where are you going with that one? Uh, yeah. Cutting Edge? Cutting um, edge carry. No? Actually, yes, because we're talking about tech. Here we go. Here
3: we go. Okay. It's cutting edge, (laughs) Kerry.
1: Lovely. Hello. Tell us about you being cutting edge, Kerry. What's going on?
4: Uh, Well, it's not me being cutting edge. It's uh, shoe brand Asics being cutting edge, actually. Uh, They're launching, later on this year, if you're an Asics fan, they're launching a new concept shoe with smart tech in it. Um, If you don't know what smart tech means, it's essentially taking some of the tech that you have in your GPS watch, say, and sticking it in the shoe. Okay. Right. Um, So with regards to what it will do, it was shown off last week at the big consumer electronics show in Las Vegas, which takes place once a year. Um, And they showcased this chip inside the new Evo Ride trainer, which is coming out next month. But I should stress it's not actually going to be in that shoe. Um, They haven't created it yet. So they just needed a convenient vehicle to show off the technology. Um, They were a little bit tight-lipped on actually what metrics it's going to offer. Um, But we have got an idea since ASICS has partnered with... Uh, a Tokyo-based company called New, No New Folk Studio, which is a firm that makes sensors, basically. And they've previously created their own running shoe, actually, called the Orf Track. Um, and Asics said, using a version of this, I believe. In their t- so the Orf Track is basically about sorting out your form. So it monitors foot strike, pronation or overpronation, um, ground contact time with the balance between your left and right feet, uh, stride length and cadence. And it measures those metrics for every step you'll run, and then gives you feedback results based on its analysis, tells you what you can do to get better, which you know it is hoped will make you possibly less injury prone if you if you have a particularly unusual gait mm. uh, and possibly even improve your performance. So, Asics is not the first brand to do this, as we know. I think Under Armour and yeah. Ultra have both had a go. Yeah, there's uh, a those, few um, other brands too.
3: There's Orion footbeds, aren't there? You can get those. Things yeah, you as can well. get.
4: Yeah, you can get the insoles that that do this kind yeah, of stuff yeah. as well. You can get sensors that you can clip onto the outside of a, a you know a shoe around yeah, the heel yeah. area. So it's a lovely idea, um, but I I would say personally, I I think probably collectively we've yet to come across a brand that's really nailed it in terms of accuracy and yeah. consistency. So. We'll see how it goes. It's a big deal for ASICs to go techie because, you know, Japanese companies are traditionally, well, quite traditional in their approach. So this is kind of a bold new direction for them. And I I like the idea of it. But I've always wondered how much of this thing is going to get a significant uptake from from mm. the running population at large. And now, maybe this is because it's uppermost in my mind, because we're going to press at the moment on the March issue of the magazine, which is our green issue, And it's going to come out at the end of this month. And there's a big feature in there about brands working to make their shoes more eco-friendly. Mm. So putting further non-biodegradable elements in a shoe is, is not really going to help the same, which I know is not. Not the goal, but it's, it's something yeah, to consider. Yeah.
1: yeah. Can I ask a sort of, as a kind of resident Luddite, I guess, of the podcast, lots of stuff that that chip can do, right? It's so a mm-hmm. cadence foot strike. Mm. You can get that from most fancy watches, right? So, why, what, what, where's the need for these smart shoes? That is not a Luddite question, and unfortunately, I don't
4: have an answer to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they were able to say something along the lines of uh, putting the tech, Lower to the ground makes yeah, it X percent yeah. more accurate. Mm. Then you could say, okay, well, this is a direction to go in. But as far as I'm aware, that no brand has made such claims. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's it's almost coming into the realms of doing it for the sake of it. But I might be completely wrong.
3: So you can say like cadence, right? Mm. So it's either normally measured by, um, uh, you know, like motion sensors, right? So it's normally yeah. if it's in a watch, it's the, the arm swing. If it's a chest strap, it's the it's the vertical oscillation. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to be your key like thing. So I guess if you've got the the chip is measuring actual like impact or you know probably still some same if it metrics. was measuring force yeah.
4: or uh, there is apparently rumour that there's going to be a power meter built into this as well mm. then that would kind of make sense but yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: But it's, that's cadence. Like one. that's one that's like that's just foot strike. So that's cool. Like but yeah. you can get like a little anything. You can count your footsteps. Like that's not that's <laughs> not like that's not groundbreaking. There's not reason like, enough yeah, to, to I make I'm it. I'm yeah. with you on this. I yeah. feel like putting extra tech in shoes themselves isn't gonna be that groundbreaking. But you
4: know but actually do you know where it might help is, is in cost. You know, we all know Mm. how, uh, incidentally, another plug for the March issue there was a big (laughs) GPS watch feature coming up in that. So (laughs) if you're splashing out in your marathon training, um, take a look at that. But we know those things are very expensive. So if there's a way that we don't know how much this shoe is going to cost, but if, you know, Under armor I've done it in the past where the shoe's been like 180 quid, and for that, you're getting tech and the shoe. Yeah. There's a cost true. saving there. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Yeah. So I guess ASICS will have some sort of supportive app. They'll, yeah, there'll be a connective app with, you know, Bluetooth, right. all the rest of it. Yeah. It'll give you metrics afterwards, just like Garmin Connect or whatever.
3: All right, cool. Hey, well, then we'll see how it goes.
4: Yeah, we will see. And secondly, uh, not a piece of news, but uh, after thoroughly enjoying myself, just having a bit of a <laughs> sort of waffle last week, <laughs> I thought I would repeat the trick this time. <laughs> and I want to talk about, damn it, how. Runners and pedestrians should interact yeah. when both are out and about. How do you let pedestrians know you're coming, whether you're approaching from the rear or from the front, but they're so absorbed in their phone that they don't notice you? Yeah. Is there a kind of a general etiquette? And I feel this is particularly important for Brits who are you know, extremely polite.
3: So uh, as a buggy pusher and yeah. user, I would say that I'm in the minority of buggy users who is considerate about space on the pavement right and this is pre-baby and now post-baby and it irks me more post-baby how little people move their buggies out of the way and i'm not talking like i know that there is a child in the buggy yeah which you know but no runner is aiming to do that child harm Mm. so just be a bit more conscientious don't be in the middle like that's that's my one piece just just if you were, if it wasn't a buggy and you were just walking in the middle, yeah. and someone was coming towards you, you would hopefully move.
1: You're not automatically in the right because you're pushing a child. That well, what that's kind of what I'm Yes, that's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fair yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> so that's my first thing, and that actually uh, comes into um, so Jane, who you all all know who listened, that she co hosts and comes on and talks about stuff, she um, she she was running uh, yesterday and had to dodge a buggy, but then came across on a discarded christmas tree did she video this it's no really unfortunately not but so i was when we discussed that this was going to be talked about she was like talk about the tree and the buggy and stuff so it's that, a tricky one but do you think yeah. there's
4: there's a general rule of thumb i mean you could say well the runners should be the ones to move because they're more nimble but then they're also traveling at high speed yeah, like that's... if there were if it's a narrow pavement should it be right pedestrian moves or runner moves mm. Or is it just kind of like play it by ear? But it's, it's something that kind of bugs me. The amount of times people look at you or they hear you coming from behind and they turn around and look at you and then don't just carry on walking through your breast. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. I was actually, I, in kind of like fulminating about this earlier, yeah. I remembered that about five years ago I was pitched an item called the run bell.
1: Okay. Oh, brilliant. Which a
4: guy, an American guy living in Tokyo had created, because obviously Tokyo was vastly more populous than, than London. Um, And I turned it down at the time for for featuring in the magazine because I felt that if this thing were let loose on the streets of England, there would be, you know, mass civil disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it is as it sounds. It's basically a little thing that fits over your knuckles, almost like kind of like nunchucks. And then it's got a bell that you that you flick like a bicycle bell with your thumb. And in Tokyo, people are running around or were apparently running around flicking these things. And people go, oh, that's somebody coming up running. I better move out of the way. Wow. Hmm. Which I thought was—it's kind of a bit impersonal and rude, really, isn't it? If you're kind of like pompously running
3: up, yeah, ringing your bell behind someone, that would be like, yeah. <laughs> "Get lost, mate! I'm not I, moving." I'm all for like just announcing that you're you're coming, but with a, like a pleasantry and like a you know or whatever. I do it?
1: what just, just coming through on your right. Or yeah, something,
0: something no. like that. But
3: but then if it, if that's met with like an like I'm not moving for you, kind of like hostility because they're protective over their space on the pavement. I feel that's that's like a that that's that's something that I've experienced. Like, well, I'm walking here and you shouldn't run past me mm. it's a bit like wow look I'm just it's walking but faster just it's the same thing man. Yeah. we're just getting somewhere like please calm down
1: I think that I think that the the pavement is largely for pedestrians that's how I run I can't Are I, we kind not of, I kind of move well that's true yeah I just we're think just, just, a, we're perambulating kind of, because a minority speed. compared to walkers on pa- most pavements I kind of think oh I'll, I'll just I'll do the dodging yeah i'm
3: i totally agree i'm i'll always move yeah i just think that, that when the space becomes precious yeah in terms of like what's available i feel like that there is a sense of it's
4: it's common sense really basically i mean i don't expect you know 89 year old gladys no. on her way to the bingo to do a commando roll into the bushes for you no but no one should you know equally well some people should <laughs> but you know equally if you're quite clearly you're you're Going on along at an absolute lick, or you're clearly very tired, or something. Or mm. people are just strung out. You know, there's five of them across the pavement. Then, yeah. it, then it, it should be them. But I mean, this is maybe I'm just you know being grumpy again. I think you've made me more grumpy about
1: it. No, I, I, think it's I, remember, yes. um, I remember walking in, in <laughs> a very popular part, very sort of pedestrian tourist part of town, and one one fairly known running running crew were, were going through, and it, the seemingly kind of racing. Actually, it was, it was that kind of pace. You know, really going for it. Mm. And there wasn't a lot of movement, actually. There wasn't a lot of acknowledgement of pedestrian. Because I was a pedestrian in that situation. I was like, well, wow, this, this is potentially actually a little bit... Um, that's a numbers game. Intimidating. I think, though. That's yeah. that's like pack mentality. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, I mean, I would say it's, I'm not, like, 100% of the time on the side of the runner in this. I think yeah. equally, you know, I've been pedestrian plenty of times. And you you move aside to let somebody run past. And they just it's like you don't even exist. They just run past with their headphones and don't even look at you. Yeah, there's there's right. a responsibility on the part of the runner, definitely i someone moves to say thank you. <laughs> we can't be the only ones who are kind of, you know, upset about this or have an opinion on it. If you've absolutely lost your temper with somebody or you, this is a thing for you, then do let us know at podcast.runnersworld.co.uk.
1: So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A big thanks to our guest, Lisa Jackson, and to you, of course, for listening. The Runners World podcast was recorded at Number
3: 8 Studios in Soho and is available on Acast, iTunes, and all your favorite podcast apps. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a review and we will see you again next week.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer.